Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I really enjoyed that conversation with Representative Scott Bounds. We're really lucky in this state to have so many long-term leaders who are focused on solving the state's problems, and especially in the, as it relates to the outdoors. You're really committed to conservation and making sure we can continue to enhance and build on this incredible part of our great state. So now let's shift gears and move over to my friend, Dr. Nicholas Conger, who's been on the show so many times I've lost count. He's a f- familiar face. You see him on local TV stations, and he's been a kind of a voice of the of the COVID situation from the very beginning. But anyway, Nick, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Doing really good. So why don't we start with this? I've got a lot of questions about the latest on the monoclonal antibody, the latest on ivermectin and, and all the misinformation about that. But before we get into all that, just kind of give me a state of affairs situation there at Memorial. Yeah, you know, I, um, the numbers continue to decrease dramatically, which is really good. And I, and I think we may have talked about this before where other places that had this Delta variant, you know, it comes on fast and then it burns out fast when it starts to burn out. And thank goodness we're finally starting to see that. So the number of admissions uh, for COVID is significantly down and uh, the hospitalizations and the ICU. I think our ICU uh, uh, census is cut in half in, in the last few weeks. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we're not busy. We're still pretty darn busy, but but man, it looks like it's, it's dramatically dropping, um, probably because it's kind of burned through and, and, and infected most of the people it was going to infect. Well, it's good to hear, and I've been hearing that from the other hospitals as well. And it's interesting, though, some of those states were, it, while Mississippi was sort of exploding and other states in the South were exploding, other states were not experiencing it as greatly, but now they're having their wave and, uh, you know, what's your sense that this is just the latest wave, that there will be another wave? Well, you know, it's, it's tough to tell, man. And I really hate to do predictions with COVID because this virus has really surprised us. You know, you know, we thought it wouldn't be bad in the, in the summer months and it was. And, and then this Delta variant comes through. So I'm really reluctant to be a, a predictor with COVID. But, you know, let's go back to when it first started and we talked about um, herd immunity that in the concept of herd immunity isn't isn't a dead concept, you know, and eventually through vaccination and through natural infection, you know, we're going to reach a critical mass at some point where almost everyone has either had it or been vaccinated and has some level of immunity so that when the next wave comes through, you would hope that the peak wouldn't be near as high and the and the mortality and, of course, the number of hospitalizations would be low, too. And, and we might be approaching that. You know, there's been some studies of, of people donating blood and and the percentage of people with antibodies is getting up there. And, uh, and so that's a good thing. Um, and so, so now there's always a chance another wave could come that evades that prior immunity, and then we might be starting over again too. And so I know I kind of gave you both sides of that answer, but, but those are both uh, distinct possibilities. Well, so do you hear, you know, of course, you, you've helped teach as well that the issue with a, a, a coronavirus like COVID-19 is the, the gen, genetic mutations that occur. And the fact that the more hosts that you have, the more opportunity there is for genetic mutation to occur. Do you hear from what's happening in other countries around the world anything specific about another mutation beyond Delta that gives you pause for concern or kind of where are you on that? 
Well, you know, there was concerns with, I think it was the Mu strain a few weeks ago, but um, that hasn't taken off in the United States, and that's good. And that one seemed to have some genetics that might be able to evade the immune system, although it wasn't necessarily seen, in, you know. And so a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's not that it's rumors. It's just like, well, there's this kind of possibility, but we, we kind of need to see it play out, you know. And, and we, so, like, for example, with Delta, we saw it take off in countries, but, but they were largely unvaccinated countries. And so is it really going to take off in, in countries that are vaccinated or partially vaccinated? Well, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was contagious enough to, to have enough breakthrough infection to cause a problem. So I, we kind of need to wait and see as these things emerge. But nothing right now on my radar that scares me. And, and so far, you know, the numbers are going down. Okay, so uh, now let's talk about the vaccines. Um, you've seen data coming back that um, Pfizer may not be as effective as some of the others, um, but the booster shots are helpful. You see j and is now talking about a second that gives you, I think I read yesterday, 94 to 96% effectiveness. Um, anyway, I won't try to do a, a complete review of that, but w what's the latest? Well, and that's hard for me to answer, too, because, you know, this pandemic is so unusual and that information is being played out in the media and with, you know, and with social media and cell phones. And like everyone seems to get a message out so fast. And, and I, so it's difficult for me, even as a physician, to sort through is the is the push for or against booster shots? Is it coming from politicians? Is it coming from the CDC? Is it coming from the FDA? Like, you know, show me the data and let me go through it. And so, and so the, you know, like I can say these, these shots, the breakthrough infections are really mild. And so, the, I, and so I do think eventually people are going to get a booster. Let me say, be clear about that. But the question is the timing and when is it most necessary? Um, and are we trying to prevent all infections or are we trying to make sure that you just don't get hospitalized and die. And so, and everyone's immune system is different. So, you know, I think it's a slam dunk that people with immune deficiencies definitely need a booster. And I think the FDA very appropriately said people over 65, around eight months looking at the data should get a booster. And I think they very appropriately said, but well, hold on, maybe everyone in the country doesn't need a booster. But, you, but everyone has an agenda too. And you got to think about it. Is the agenda, we don't want to use up boosters in first world countries to prevent vaccine to go into third world countries or does the science really back it up so you have to when they when people are pro or anti-booster again if some people think the politicians are pushing boosters so that the numbers get so low that things look good while they're in charge and, and so i just want to get away from all that and, and look at the science like are boosters necessary based on science are people uh, dying because they're not getting boosters are people being hospitalized because they're not getting boosters and then we can go with that so right now, to me, if you're immune compromised, you get a booster right away. If you're over 65, you get a booster some sometime between six and 12 months. I'm happy with eight. For the rest of the general public, I think we need to wait and see. And then you have sort of the profit motive. And how does that weigh in? And the role of the big pharma? And which you know, then that brings in the whole discussion of I, about ivermectin. You know, I have I have two friends, incidentally, who are veterinarians they're veterinarians both of them are on ivervectin instead of getting a, a, a vaccine uh, the amount of misinformation i sent you i sent you a couple of stories one is from a company that's run by john solomon who used to be a, 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 a an expert 
uh, on Fox News. He actually, he's no longer an expert on Fox News and has his own news organization. I think he was an investigative journalist at one point, but there's been some iffy journalism reported from him. I don't know whether to trust any reporting coming from his website. Then you, I sent you one from the Jer- Jerusalem Post, I believe, and uh, it has something to say about it. But sort of, where are you on ivermectin today? Well, today I'm on ivermectin the same as I was about a year ago. And I can tell you, um, uh, a year ago, we used a lot of ivermectin, and some of our outpatient uh, prescribers still prescribe a lot of it. I I can tell you this, and my perspective is, I'm not sure if it helps or not, but I can tell you that once patients are sick in the hospital and needing oxygen, I don't think it helps at all. And I can tell you that we were putting people on it for a while there, and there was no difference. They were still getting sick and still dying at the same rate. It wasn't a formal study. But we put a lot of people on ivermectin and didn't see a difference. In the outpatient setting, it's real difficult to know if there's a difference. Because remember, 90 out of 100 people aren't going to be hospitalized. 99 out of 100, on average, aren't going to die. So you can give ivermectin to two or 300 people as an outpatient doctor. And if they're young, healthy people that we're going to do fine anyway, then you're going to conclude, hey, this stuff works. But it might have worked if you had them drink sweet tea every day for a week, too, because that's not really a study, right? They might have done well, okay. And so if you're an ivermectin believer, there's some studies out there that show that it might have some benefit. If you're an ivermectin denier, there's some studies out there that will will support your point of view. So I have, and I hate to say it, but I, I, the answer is I don't know. When, when I get asked by outpatient doctors, should I prescribe ivermectin to someone early on in COVID? My answer has always been, I don't know. I don't know enough to tell you don't do it for sure. And I don't think it's necessarily all that harmful. But let me be clear, I'm talking about medical ivermectin because you know there's a difference people picking up the veterinarian grade it's it's significantly stronger and that could lead to significant problems i'm talking about good old-fashioned ivermectin pills which is approved for use in for for worm diseases basically uh you know seen in seen in africa as basically the, the main use of ivermectin Really, that's a long answer, but really early years ago, back when the first COVID wave came through, they were looking at these agents. Ivermectin does have some antiviral properties, suppresses virus growth in the lab. But when you see that, those are at like 100 times, 1,000 times the levels you need, you would get from taking pills. And that's why some pharmacists are like, I don't think you could take enough ivermectin to really make a difference. But like we said, there are some studies that show that maybe the virus goes away a little faster if you're on it. So I continue to be honest. I'm always honest. I don't know if it helps or not. What's interesting, um, Joe Rogan, he's uh, got probably the number one podcast in America. He gets COVID. He takes um, um, a cocktail of vitamins. He takes a monoclonal antibody. I think he takes uh, a prescribed dosage of ivermectin, and he does really well. But the question is, what made him feel better? And I think what you believe is that the monoclonal antibody, if taken early in the process, has a very significantly positive impact. When we come back, we'll talk about that and what might be a sort of a, a debate or a controversy now about Mississippi and this emergency use of the monoclonal antibody, maybe taking too much of our fair share, and whether that's a relevant point or not. So we'll see you after this break. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to COSU. I have Dr. Nicholas Conger. He's an infectious disease internist at Memorial. He's a regular on COSU. And he's, again, I've said this many times, but you have such a practical view toward things. Um, and you're honest. You're honest when there's not a clear answer. And uh, But when we went to break, though, I mentioned about Joe Rogan taking this cocktail of vitamins. He took uh, a, a prescribed dosage, a human dosage of ivermectin, which is actually an important point to make here. And he also took the monoclonal antibody. So let's come back to the monoclonal antibody because that is literally something from the, you know, since the initial use of it, you have believed makes an impact. So what's your latest thinking on that? So, um, so I'm a big believer in the monoclonal antibody, you know, as a treatment for COVID-19 if given early. And, but let me go back and say, you know, I still think that vaccination is the way to go. I think that the, the studies are clear that the vaccines are safe. And if anyone still has vaccine hesitancy, I would love to try to talk them into the vaccine. Uh, infections post-vaccine are so much more milder. It's rare to see severe hospitalizations and even more rare to see deaths in people who are vaccinated. All the sick people I've seen in the last month with this Delta strain, last two months, have been unvaccinated. So the best plan is get vaccinated. Um, I'm not going to get vaccinated. And if I get it, I'm going to take ivermectin. Or if I get it, I'm going to take monoclonal antibody. I don't think is as good of a plan as vaccination. Um, the monoclonal antibody, I, I, I have seen it work, you know, um, if you get it early, if you get it late, once you get the inflammation in your lungs, it's too late. The damage is already done. It's already started. But particularly in the first week and really in the first four to five days, um, we see a dramatic response. And it essentially is giving you instant immunity that you would have had if you got the vaccine. And I do want to stress that they're both emergency use authorized. So if your hang up for the vaccine is I don't want something emergency use authorized, well, the Pfizer's now FDA approved. But the, um, the, the, the monoclonal antibody is also emergency use authorized, technically doesn't have a formal FDA indication. Uh, but I, I see dramatic results in, in many people, um, and I see less hospitalizations and less deaths. That said, still, some people do get hospitalized and still do die uh, with the monoclonal antibody. But it essentially targets the spike protein with two different um, uh, ways, as a, you know, which, which helps. And, and we see some people with high fever, shaking chills, feeling awful six or eight hours after you give it to them, and then they feel miraculously better the next day. Now, not everyone has that response, but it, there's a clear response with that. I think that's what helped President Trump. It's probably what helped Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan looks like he's in good shape, so he might have done well anyway. So again, we got to remember, 90% of people won't get hospitalized and 99% of people won't die, even with nothing. So that's why it's hard to, to, to weigh in on these therapeutics. Yeah, I have a... I have a family member who's really struggling with COVID now in, in Alabama, and um, he he was vaccinated, but he had a lot of uh, underlying medical conditions, and he's over 70 years old. And as you well know, I think the last time I looked for Singer River Health System, I don't know if you know the number there, but the average age of those who are hospitalized who were vaccinated was like 77 years old. I don't know what the number is there, but the average age of those unvaccinated who were there were like in the low 50s. So, I mean, that's that, that the older you are and the more underlying conditions there are, the more at risk you are, even if you've been vaccinated, which is to say, if you've been vaccinated and you have these underlying issues, you just can't go live your life. You got to still be very careful, correct? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If, if your goal is to not catch COVID. Now, some people have a, 
mentality of, hey, if it's my time, my time, you know. But but definitely, if you don't want to catch COVID, um, you know, our immune systems aren't what they, uh, when you're older, the immune systems aren't what they used to be. And so you may not have responded to the vaccine or you might have had a weak response. So it takes yourself, your, your body some time to clear that COVID out. And, and again, you know, even people who survive COVID, remember, there's a decent percentage of them that have this long COVID or this post-COVID syndrome of feeling awful and coughing and short of breath. And again, you're much less likely to get that if you're vaccinated than if you get vaccinated and you take the monoclonal antibody. That said, though, if you catch COVID, I'm a big believer. Monoclonal antibody, it definitely helps. And because our vaccine rates were, were low and we had a massive outbreak with this Delta strain, we were going through it. I mean, I don't know if we talked about this. We were doing 200 a day. We went from we went from five a week to 200 a day. We were at a massive amount of shifting of resources, pharmacy, nursing, technicians. I mean, and then we have an outside company now helping us do it. And, uh, you know, they were, you know, they were promising 150 to 200 a day when they got here. So it, it's, it's incredible the amount we were doing. Now that's dropping off like a rock too. Thank goodness, because the rates are going down. So how long, how long have you been doing the infusion there at Memorial? Oh, Oh, gosh, probably for almost a year. Remember, we started with uh, bamlanivimab, um, and that was a, a single drug. Regeneron is two drugs. And what happened is when Delta strain became dominant, the BAM didn't work as well for the Delta. For the Delta. And so we um, – so I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. So that's we, okay. Uh, yeah. So we, we've switched to primarily Regeneron, and that's what's been working. So interesting. So interesting. So what's your thoughts on – the Biden administration saying that Mississippi, because of its low vaccination rates, is getting a disproportionate amount of the monoclonal antibody and that they might reduce that that stock. What's your thoughts about that? We only have a minute left. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that. You know, the people who need the monoclonal antibody need the monoclonal antibody. And, um, you know, yes, I wish our vaccination rates were higher. But once someone chooses not to be vaccinated when they get COVID, I'm not a big fan of saying, well, then you don't deserve this medicine. No, we. if people need it, they need it, regardless of where they are, regardless of the vaccination rates. Well, Dr. Nicholas Conger, Infectious Disease Insurance from Memorial, thank you for visiting with us today, and we'll stay in touch, and I'm glad to see the numbers going down. I pray that we don't have another wave. That It's time for some kind of new normal to come back. That's I'm looking right. forward to that myself. Have, uh, have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.